This morning we're continuing our current series on a renewed vision for 2020. So far we have sought the Lord to bring us a renewal in several areas, but this morning we're going to seek the Lord to bring us a renewal, a renewed vision for generosity. Now, as you study the New Testament, you'll see that the Holy Spirit brought a great movement of generosity to the early church. Luke records for us in Acts chapter 2 that the very first converts to Christianity were together and they had all things in common. And they began to sell their, their, their properties and possessions and sharing with them all as anyone might have need. And then when we jump to chapter 4 of the book of Acts, we are told that the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. For there was not a needy person among them. For all those who were owners of lands or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. And then when you go to chapter 11 of Acts, we see that a great famine had greatly affected those who were living in Judea. And the scriptures tell us that in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren in Judea. And then when you jump into the New Testament epistles, we find biblical instructions to the church, instructing them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of, of good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. And in Paul's appeal for the church to be generous, he, he, he calls them to be generous to missionaries when he writes to Pastor Titus, diligently help Zenon and the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. And it seems that there was, the spirit of generosity was particularly strong among Christian women in the early church. Because the Bible notes that the Christian women, they had a good reputation for good works. They showed hospitality to strangers. They washed the saints' feet. They assisted in those who were in distress. And they devoted themselves to every good work. It seems that the Holy Spirit had really poured out the gift of generosity upon the early church. Now I know that someone might be sitting here today saying, I knew this day would come. I knew the day would come when the church is coming after my money. But I want you to know that I have purposely been talking about generosity because generosity goes deeper than just giving money. Giving money is an action. Generosity is an attitude. A person can give a contribution out of a sense of obligation, pressure from others. They can do it grudgingly. 
But a generous person, a generous person gives willingly and cheerfully from the heart. And a person can be generous with their time, their talents, as well as their treasures. Remember the scripture I just read to you in Paul's instruction to the church that they first to do good, then to be rich in good works, and then to be generous, ready to share. It sounds like he's talking about more than just giving a contribution. He's talking about the attitude of generosity within the church of God. The point is is that contributions can be made from the wallet and not the heart. Whereas generosity, no matter how it is displayed in time, talents, or treasures, comes from the heart. My desire this morning is that God would begin a movement of generosity in our church like he did in the early church recorded in the book of Acts. That the Holy Spirit would give us the gift of liberality where we would be known as a people who are generous in our Christian service, generous in sharing our lives with others, and generous in the support of our church and its ministries. Now, I do feel responsible to be transparent here and and tell you that this church does operate financially on the contributions from the congregation. I want to clear it up. We don't get a grant from our denomination. We don't have a big donor who underwrites the church and its ministries. We don't get a supplement from the government. This church operates on the generous contributions of the congregation. And I want to thank you for being so generous with this church. I want you to understand that this sermon is not about the church budget, even though we have one. And this sermon is not about the biblical instructions to give unto the Lord his tithes and our offerings and alms, even though we should. This sermon dives deeper than those things. This sermon examines our hearts to see if we're following the Christian heritage of the early church by having a vision for generosity. And one of the best passages that addresses this spiritual attitude of generosity is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let me set the context here. One year before the Apostle Paul wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 8, He had encouraged the Corinthian church to join the other churches in the region for a collection of alms for the poor in Jerusalem and Judea. And what we see is that the Corinthian church initially accepted Paul's encouragement and they started bringing contributions every Lord's Day as they gathered together for worship. But after a short time, the Corinthians lost their vision for generosity. And as Paul responds to their lack of generosity, he tells the Corinthians about the outpouring of the gift of liberality and generosity that was amongst the churches of Macedonia. And Paul's prayer 
is that the Corinthians would seek the Lord for the same vision for generosity that was currently being demonstrated in the churches of Macedonia. So let's read God's word this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of God. Now, brethren, I wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in support of the saints. And this, not as we ex had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urge Titus that he that as he had pre previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, and in all earnestness and in love, we inspire you that you would abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but I am proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through you through his poverty might become rich. That finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Before we dive into the text this morning, I want you to see the spiritual nature of the gift of generosity. Notice Paul's appeal was not out of a sense of duty or obligation. Paul wasn't saying, hey, just do it. Why don't you? You don't see that attitude at all in his writings. Paul doesn't come across like a debt collector trying to collect on an unpaid bill. Paul is calling for the Corinthians to a higher calling rather than a sense of duty or obligation. Something that is a duty-driven obedience. Paul is going to challenge the Corinthians to seek the outpouring of the Spirit for a renewed vision for generosity. For Paul, it had nothing to do with fleshly ability. He was talking about walking in the spirit. For Paul, he was not talking about the money. He's talking about the heart. For Paul, it wasn't about seeking the check to come into the mail or in the offering plate. But it was about seeking the spirit of God flowing in all the churches. All the churches. In this passage the scripture of each verse has a wealth of truth about the spiritual nature of the gift of generosity. And I think the best way to profit from these, the, this text is for us to take each verse and see what we should expect from God 
as he renews in us the gift of generosity. Paul begins, now, brethren, I wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of the Macedonian. Notice the experience of this gift of generosity was not isolated. The gift of generosity was given notice to the churches of Macedonia. Now, the book of Acts tells us that Paul planted three churches in the region of Macedonia, the church of Philippi, the, the church of Thessalonica, and Berea. But we can understand that by the time Paul is writing 2 Corinthians, there's possibly other churches that have been planted in that region. But the point is, is that the gift of generosity was not isolated to one church. The gift of generosity is not isolated to just a particular group of Christians. The gift of generosity was operated in all the churches of Macedonia. And Paul sought that all the churches, including the Corinthian church, would experience the gift of generosity. And we should want the Holy Spirit to give us the gift of generosity in this church. Amen? Now, Paul refers to what the Macedonian churches were experiencing as the grace of God. This word grace is the Greek word charis, and it is the idea of favor and, and or gifting. So Paul is identifying that what the Macedonian churches were experiencing was actually a supernatural gift of God. Not human ability. God by his spirit had given these churches the mind of Christ. Which enabled them to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But rather in humility of mind, they regarded one another as more important than themselves. By God's grace, they did not merely look out for their own interests, but also for the interests of others. And Paul himself had firsthand experience when it comes to the grace of God extended through the church of Macedonia. In chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that the Macedonian churches had sent an offering that had fully supplied his need so that he could stay focused on the ministry of the gospel. And when we look at the book of Philippians, we learn that the, the Macedonian churches had sent a gift to Paul more than once to support his ministry. We see that this is something that flowed out of them. They were involved in the collection of these, these alms and they were involved in missionary work through the Apostle Paul and they gave generously. But notice that these churches of Macedonia were not full of rich people. No. Notice what Paul writes in verse 2. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. 
You see, the churches of Macedonia had received the word of God, which with much affliction, persecution. And many of those Christians in those churches lost their homes and lost their businesses because of their faith in Christ. But notice their affliction produced an abundance of joy. And their deep poverty produced an overflow in the wealth of liberality. This is a paradox of grace. What the world means for evil, God uses for good. Amen? Instead of this great ordeal of affliction producing discouragement and defeat, God uses it to produce an abundance of joy. And I'm telling you, that doesn't happen outside of the spirit of God. Amen. That's the reason why the Apostle James can say, count it all joy when you go through trials and persecutions. Notice that instead of their deep poverty creating an excuse not to give, God used it to create in them an overflowing wealth of liberality. (laughs) They might be poor, but they're given all the more. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Each one of them gave what they had purposed in their heart to give out of their own accord. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, but as a cheerful giver. You see, they believed in the spiritual principle that he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. They believed that God was was able to make all grace abound so that always having all sufficiency in everything they would have an abundance for every good deed. And we know this was their attitude because this is what Paul writes about them in the next chapter, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. And we, in this church, we as well should adopt these spiritual principles in our own individual lives and in this church. Amen? We should adopt a principle that those who reap sparingly will sow, those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly, and those who sow bountifully will reap bountifully. We need to adopt the spiritual principle that God is able to make all grace abound, so that we would have all sufficiency in everything and abundance to do every good deed. Settle down, preacher. We are told that the Macedonian churches, they gave of their own ability and beyond their ability. And this reminds me of the episode that's recorded in the Gospels, Mark and Luke, when Jesus and his disciples were watching the rich putting large sums of money as gifts in the offering box in the temple. And after this parade of these rich guys, A poor widow came up 
and put two copper coins in the offering box that amounted to one cent. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put more than all of them. So he's not just saying this poor widow put more than any one of them. What Jesus is saying, when you when you just gather all the money that those rich guys just put into the offering box, her two copper coins was greater. How could Jesus say that? He goes on for they that is the rich folk, they gave out of their surplus. But she gave all that she had to, to live on. See, for Jesus, it wasn't about the amount of the gift. It was about the attitude of the heart in giving. The rich gave more money, but the widow gave all she had. She emptied herself as an act of worship. She could have given according to her ability by just giving one coin. But she gave beyond her ability and deposited both coins, giving all she had to the glory of God. One writer says that poor widow's might was beyond the rich man's magnificence because it came out of a richer heart. Christian giving is not evaluated in the amount of but in the willingness of the heart towards God. And the Macedonian Christians, they didn't have to be prodded, poked, or persuaded to participate in this gift of giving. They actually begged for the opportunity. You see, it wasn't the apostle trying to persuade them to participate it was the Macedonian Christians urging the apostle for the opportunity to participate. And I just tell you, as a pastor, that's a great thing. And because Paul was intimately acquainted with the Macedonians' affliction and their deep poverty, he had not expected them to respond with such a generous gift. But he understood the reason behind their generosity. And that was because they gave themselves first to the Lord. They had surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They had trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Amen. Then why don't you trust God with your finances then? I mean, which is the greater, your finances or eternal life? Eternal life. So doesn't it just make logical sense that if you're if you're able by the spirit of God to trust Jesus for the greater thing, why wouldn't you be able to trust Jesus for the lesser thing? They trusted in the Lordship of Jesus Christ for their salvation. And here we see that they trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for their finances. They considered their participation as an act of worship to the Lordship of Christ. 
And maybe that's something we're missing here. You know, the, the reformers had, had taught us what we know are the, the principles of worship. If you want to get technical about it and look it up online, it's called the regulative principle. I'm going off script here, Natalie, so just give me a moment here. All right. So they had what is called the, the, the regulative principle. And what the regulative principle teaches is that these are the elements of worship, elements that should be included in every worship service. These are the things that should singing, prayers, preaching of the word, a benediction, and guess what else? An offering. For the reformers, it wasn't a true worship service without the collection of the offering. Because the reformers saw the collection of the, of the offering an act of worship. It wasn't just putting a, a, a couple of dollars in the plate. It was an act of worship. And maybe that's what we've lost. We don't consider it an act of worship. We don't give our offerings, our tithes and our offerings and alms saying, Lord, I pray that you will multiply this and use it for the advancement of your kingdom in my heart and through my life and through this church. No, we just write the check. I think we're missing it. Okay, now I'm back on script, Natalie. Now, now at this point, Paul makes a transition. From talking about the Macedonians to talking directly to the Corinthians. And he tells them that he has urged Titus to complete in them this gracious work. Now, Titus was one of Paul's associates. Uh, and Paul had sent Titus to deliver the letter of 2 Corinthians to the Corinthian church. But he was also a minister of the gospel, and he was tasked by the apostle to encourage the Corinthians to re-engage in the gift of generosity. You see, the deal is, is God uses his ministers to encourage God's people to be generous. Don't shoot the messenger. It's part of my calling. It's part of my job as a minister of the gospel. Not because I want you, your money, but rather I want you to live according to God's principles. And yes, there are some bad apples in the bunch. But let me tell you, the majority of pastors that I know and I've seen just really want their congregations, and their people living out the principles of God's word. That's all they want. Now, I know in my life, if it wasn't for the Christian models and, and, and mentors that I had in my life, it would have been easy to ignore the gift of generosity. From my parents... To my spiritual mentors, I thank God for those that he put into my life that encouraged me to complete this gracious work as well. 
Paul continues, but just as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and and in all earnestness, and in in love, in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. Now the only thing you have to do is read the epistles to the first of the first and second epistles of Corinthians, and you will discover that the Corinthian church did abound in spiritual gifts such as faith, utterances, and knowledge that Paul mentions here. But he wants them to understand that they should also abound in the gift of generosity also. And also notice that this is the fourth time in this passage that Paul refers to giving the offering as a grace. You see, the ability to give from the heart Well, that is a gift from God. Our giving should be the same way of how God gives his grace to us. God gives to us freely, generously, and unencumbered. Amen? And God gives us his grace strictly because he wants to give us his grace. I think you know the verse. God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He wasn't forced or coerced to do that. He did it out of his own attitude of love. He gave his only son. Brothers and sisters, once we recognize that the gift of generosity is centered in God's grace, then the whole act of giving moves away from amounts, moves away from pressure and duty, And moves away from obligation and legalism. See, once we see that the gift of generosity is centered in God's grace, it elevates giving to something that is lovely, beautiful, good, and glorious. Amen? Paul says, I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. So Paul's not commanding the Corinthians to give, but he's asking them to examine the earnestness of their love for God and for others. You see, the the participation in the gift of generosity, well, it is a valid test of the sincerity of our love. We see this in our relationships. If we're generous to give, It shows our love. We just had Valentine's Day. Have we forgotten it already? Shame on you guys that didn't give anybody anything to your spouse. He didn't give. And how does she interpret that? The Apostle John says it plainly. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a good question. See how the apostle is saying, listen, our participation in the gift of generosity is a valid test of our love towards God and towards others. Love for God, generosity. Love for others, generosity. 
He goes on, the Apostle John goes on, little children, let us not love in word and, and, and tongue, but in deed and in truth. Do not love God just in your words. Do not love this church just in your words. Do not love others just in your words, but rather in all those things, show your deeds. Show your deeds. Because participation in the gift of generosity is a valid test of the sincerity of our love. Our uncumbered willingness to participate in the gift of generosity is a demonstration of our love for God and for others. But the best example of the gift of generosity, well, it wasn't the churches of Macedonia but rather the Lord Jesus himself. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. We see the apostle wants to emphasize again the spiritual nature of the gift of generosity, and he concludes this short passage of Scripture by reminding them that generosity, the gift of generosity, is ultimately displayed in Jesus Christ. That even though he enjoyed the riches of heaven, yet for our sake, he became poor. He, became, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, Death on the cross, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Now, Paul has made several points showing the spiritual nature of, the, of generosity. But he concludes this passage saying that there's no greater point to be made than the great example of God's generosity to give us his son so that we might enjoy the riches of heaven and for all eternity. Amen? That's the reason we give, because we are Christ-like. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge you this morning to seek the Lord for a renewed vision for generosity. I want us to pray that God would begin a movement of generosity in this church like he did in the early church. And I'm asking you to seek the Holy Spirit to give each one of us